There are many ways people listen to vision, including on smart speakers. Just tell your smart speakers to play Vision Christian Radio. Alexa, play Vision Christian Radio. Vision. Yep, it really is that easy. You can also say, play V180 Radio for our music channel. It's just another way that Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It is amazing, isn't it, how we can have a fascination about television programs that rely on forensic analysis of a crime scene in order to solve a whodunit. We're quick to agree that deeper studies of a crime scene can prove what happened. But how quick are people to apply the same science and the uncovering of evidence to the revelation of God? Well, as we report regularly, there is a wave of archaeological discoveries that speak directly to the authenticity and truth of the Bible accounts of history, affirming that the Bible is, in fact, more accurate than many scholars had thought. But how can understanding some basic facts about the past speak to our present and to the future? Well, evangelist Stu Miller, who's the founder of Train to Proclaim, is very recently back from Israel and having walked the streets of Jerusalem and having some insights into those things uh, that shape faith uh, and how we share our faith with others. And a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Stu Miller. Thank you, Neil. Great to be back. So, Stu, uh, you're back from Israel. You walked the streets of Jerusalem. Did Mm -hmm. you have the sort of uh, authenticating experience that people have when they do this sort of pilgrimage to the Holy Land, Uh, you know, seeing the Mount of Olives and uh, all of the different uh, historic sites? How do you feel having done that? Well, I actually had quite mixed emotions because it was amazing to walk in the very places that Jesus walked and and go and see those sites like uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives and and all these places and and see uh, not only locations that you read about in the Bible, but also uh, the actual monuments to events that took place, you know, uh, which was incredible. Um, And it was amazing. But at the same time, uh, there's so much commercialization of it. I mean, one one of the uh, the places there was there was 18 bus buses there in the car park. You know, so there's a lot of people visiting the Holy Land from from overseas. Uh, a lot of people taking a pilgrimage for this, and um, because uh, things are, are monumentalized, you know, that there's a, a monument over you know uh, where something took place, and they put it under glass, and then they then they build something on top of that, and on top of that, and by the time you sort of look through these layers, you can sort of see, but you can't really sort of touch and feel, you know, exactly that spot where Jesus, you know, did whatever he did, you know. So it was to me, it was uh, the glit and the glamour and the gold and the silver and the glass and everything took a little bit of the authenticity away from it, but it was just fantastic though to see all those monumentalized. Interesting as you reflect on that, and we'll get into our conversation in just a few moments, but when you say you would like to go there and you would like to see and touch the actual place that Jesus touched, and there's something of, uh, you know, some people will say there's something sort of weird in a spirituality uh, where we have to actually go and do that and uh, feel, because we're looking for some sort of a, you know, like the touching of a relic. Uh, And in some denominations, they even have relics 
Rocks, you know, locked yes, away and uh, yes. the bones of a martyr or something like that. And, and somehow or other they feel an empowerment by that. Mm. Did you actually, I mean, I, I know that you don't sort of put a lot of faith in relics no, and things, but no. did you have that sort of sense of a pilgrimage that being there and the expectation that there will be a spiritual experience? Well, I, I had the expectation that it was going to change the way I read the Bible and change the way I preached. Seeing the sites, being part of the location and the, you know, the, the typography, you know, knowing how close things are or how far things are away. So when I read about Jesus went from this place to this place, I know, well, that was a fair walk or that was just a, you know, 200 meters down the road. You know, you get a, a far better picture of what actually happened in the New Testament. So I had that expectation, but I wasn't expecting to go and touch the water of the Jordan or go and get baptized like thousands and thousands of people do every day to have some sort of a special encounter with God because God's everywhere. He's in Australia as well as in Israel and everywhere in the world. So I wasn't wasn't expecting anything like that. Yeah. Although, interestingly, when you put yourself in the place of those people who are getting baptized in the Jordan. Now, sure. I imagine that most people who do that have been baptized before. But yes. what they want to do is they want to actually have that experience of my head going under the water in the Jordan River. And this is the way that Jesus would have felt when he was being baptized in the Jordan River. Sure. So really that sort of passion about sure. connecting with how Jesus felt, what Jesus saw. That's the sort of thing you get when you go to the Holy Land. Absolutely. And that, that's what you want. And you want to see those same places and experience, you know, and and understand the, the culture and and the you know the locations and everything. That's definitely fantastic to do. Um, now, when you are an evangelist, mm-hmm. now, I don't know whether you were having opportunities to share your faith on the streets. We might get to that. But but obviously there you're seeing the sights, smelling the smells, uh, listening, and uh, just feeling the presence of the Holy Land and recognizing mm. you're in this place, which is a Bible land. Mm-hmm. God has used this land uh, yes. for his purposes to bring his revelation. As an evangelist, what sort of things are you feeling and seeing that might be different to ordinary sightseers because you are coming back and you're wanting to train people to share their faith and have this sort of authenticity about the way that they're Mm. uh, delivering this message of the gospel? What, What does it mean to an evangelist? What it means for me is uh, because I, I'm out on the streets in Australia and in other parts of the world and in Western nations where you've got a lot of skeptics and atheists that you're speaking to, how many times have I heard people say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus? And I say, well, what do you mean by you don't believe in Jesus? You, you believe in the historical Jesus and some people don't even believe in that. They're like, oh, I think it's just a story that got made up and, you know, like, oh, he may or may not have been there or it's all a bit vague. And and uh, so going to, to Israel was incredible in that a- aspect because you sometimes we had Muslim guides. Sometimes we had, uh, you know, Jewish guides. Sometimes we had Christian guides. Sometimes we had archaeologists, you know, secular people who were taking you to these places. But all of them said the same thing. These events took place. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a monument to an event. And, and then they say, well, you know, we're not quite sure exactly when that was put in, but the, the church that was built over this monument <laughs> was put in in the second century or the third century. You know, like 
the children or the great-grandchildren of the people who actually saw these events would have actually built these churches and uh you know or maybe great grandchildren you know but it wasn't that far away from the actual event and and at the time because it was such significant growth in the church early on people said we've got to actually remember these spots where Jesus did this where he fed the fed the 5000 where he uh gave the beatitudes where he uh you know ascended you know and so you've got all these Monuments that were put up by early Christians and then later were protected by churches building over the top of them. You know that this is really real. This is this has actually happened, and so no one's denying these events. You, you, everyone's got a different take on it, Neil. <laughs> if you're a Muslim, you know you, you've got a different take on who Jesus is, but you still say, well, you know, he was there. He did these miracles. These events took place. I mean, for for us in the West, we're like, oh, I don't know about this, but over there. It's, it's not even questioned. It's like this is this is history. This is archaeology. We're digging up stuff all the time that's proving all this. Like, but what are you talking? What do you mean this event didn't take place? Everyone believes in this event, <laughs> you know. So it was amazing in that respect. And there is a sense in which, if you're a regular listener to Vision, mm. you're going to hear regular stories filtering mm. through, either in Vision National News or on mm. uh, Ron Ross and his updates. We yes. always try to get some sort of archaeological stories in there too. He's mm. just wonderful mm. reporting on those. But if you're not a listener to Christian radio mm-hmm. and you are faced with uh, some sort of uh, odd-sounding story at an odd moment in time in your life, uh, you're probably going to brush that off as some sort of a fairy tale. Sure. But as you say, if you're in Israel yes. uh, or any of those Bible lands, all yes. of this is just so real, mm. it's so evident, it's yep. so there, in your face, up mm. front, you can't really deny the history. But yes. uh, for that Western Person for that mm. Aussie mm. who doesn't necessarily have much to do with God, yes. uh, this is a little bit odd, and uh, they can easily brush it off. So, for the Christian believer, mm. you have to have some sort of substantial mm. foundation in your own faith yes. where you believe that what the Bible says is true. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I think anyone uh, secular person that goes over to Israel, if they actually had an open mind and they went on these tours that, you know, initially they might be just going, oh, yeah, I don't know that this all took place. You know, I don't know about this guy. But after a few trips, you're going, hang on a minute, there's just way too many of these places and events and everything and everyone's saying the same thing. What's going on here? Did these actually take place? Uh, so you've got to start asking the question. Now, in saying that, not everything's exact over there. Like, I went to two places where the, the shepherds were supposed to be visited by the angels in Bethlehem, for example. So, but the fact that there's still a Bethlehem there, yeah. <laughs> the fact that, you know, there is caves where shepherds used to look after sheep and there might be two that are 500 meters down the road from each other and both of the places, you know, are claiming to be the place where the, the, the angels visited. I sort of think, well, maybe angels visited both of them. Uh, maybe it was one or the other, but actually it doesn't matter. But the the fact that they're there uh, and people were, and it's part of the history and everyone's saying it happened just proves what the Bible says. And even if the actual site might be in dispute, as mm-hmm. you say, the overall effect of being sure. there and recognizing mm-hmm. that the things that the Bible describes, mm-hmm. uh, actually there are sites that are. Uh, a pretty solid match, even yes. if they might not be the absolute site. Yep. Uh, what those things do is actually adds the authenticity factor uh, mm. as you read the Bible. Absolutely. I mean, do we know the exact spot where Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives when he ascended? 
No, but there's a church of ascension there, and it's going to be, you know, Mount of Olives is not a big place, you know what I mean? You're going to be sort of within 50 metres of where, where Jesus ascended. So sometimes you don't know the exact thing. Sometimes they, they, they reckon they have found the exact spot for some of these things, but the fact that they know it, it's part of the history, it's been monumentalized, it's, uh, it's just a given over there. And uh, here we just dispute it to, to kingdom come. So it's a little bit like uh, you know Jesus speaking on the temple steps and saying, mm-hmm. was he standing on the second step or the third step or <laughs> exactly. the, was it the fourth step? Well, yes. I don't really know, so therefore I might have a, you know, an element of doubt that comes and over, overwhelms everything that I believe. But uh, you know that there are steps there exactly. to the temple. So, Excellent. Exactly. Okay, all right. Well, so Stu, as an evangelist, yes, uh, you know that mm. when you have the Bible as this foundation document for our faith, this is mm. where we get the revelation of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where we grow to be like Jesus mm-hmm. because we're looking at God's Word that tells us the story of Jesus, that tells mm. us the sayings of Jesus, that has the messages that Jesus preached. Uh, mm-hmm. So we need to have some sort of foundation of authenticity about Jesus in the Bible. Mm. Does this sort of stuff happen when you are you know, exposed to all this stuff? Uh, what does it do for the deepening of your faith? Oh, it's um, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, of course, as a believer, knew it all happened and believed it all happened prior to going to Israel. But, but to see it with your own eyes is just fantastic. It just strengthens uh, the foundations of your faith. And so if uh, anyone listening here is thinking about going to Israel, I'd encourage you to do it. It's, uh, it's fantastic to see those things for yourself. It'll only strengthen your faith. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020. On Vision. Stu Miller from Train to Proclaim is our guest, freshly back from Israel and talking about the effects of a visit to Israel and an understanding of the authenticity of God's word and what that means to someone who wants to share their faith with another person. Uh, so, Stu, uh, let me just ask you, over 2,000 years, mm-hmm. and we're talking uh, maybe thousands of years, uh, even three and more, uh, when it comes to uh, the Old Testament as well, and, of course, all the history of Israel, mm-hmm. over that time, mm-hmm. speculation comes in about, uh, I wonder whether this could have been an alternative way to look at what people have been discussing about the Bible. Doubts come in, and then arguments against uh, mm. Come in. All of this developing doubt, speculation, and argument. Mm. I mean, some people might be saying, is this actually a bad thing, or actually, is there an upside to it? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think it's always good to put things to scrutiny because truth stands up to scrutiny. And uh, definitely checking things out. We've got nothing to hide as Christians. There's there's no cover-up. There's no anything like that going on. Uh, we can put our cards out on the table and have a look at them. Everything isn't totally clear because when you're talking about 2,000 years ago, you're not, you know, uh, we don't even have any of the New Testament, original New Testament documents in existence today. Because if I have a document today, Neil, and in 2,000 years' time, I guarantee that it's not going to be around, you know, things aren't preserved all that well. One place where they will, were preserved very well uh, was um, the Dead Sea Scrolls in, um, in Qumran. And speaking about doubts, 
that's a great example because when I was growing up at high school even, I heard that the Dead Sea Scrolls, no one can see them. There's a cover-up. You know, they found these scrolls and they disproved the Bible. They, 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 they're different to the Bible we have today and so it contradicts it and so they don't want to let people know about it and there's a big cover-up about it and I didn't know anything about it at the time. I'm going, oh, okay, I, I don't know what's going on there. I trusted in the Bible and I continue to. But um, things like that uh, are out of ignorance. Now, going in, into Israel and, and going, I went to Qumran and I saw the cave where they found the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, I went to the university, uh, not the university, the, the museum in Israel and saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, there is no cover up. There was a period of time, they said, where uh, after they found it, the, the scrolls, where there was restrictions on who could actually, you know, have have access to those scrolls. So there was a lot of international scholars that wanted access and Israelis scholars said, nope. No one's having a look. We're going to preserve these. We're going to photograph them. We're going to conograph them. We're, you know, do all the things that we're going to do, and then we're, we're going to allow access. And they did. But there was a period of time when there was restrictions on it. And so that turned into the rumor, there's a cover-up. And it went all around the world. And it's amazing how ignorance can, can uh, go travel so far, so fast. Uh, conspiracy theories will always abound. Uh, but yes. I remember it's only uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 10 years ago mm. uh, that they released all of the images of the Dead Sea Scrolls yes. online. So anyone in the world That's can right. access the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I remember going on there thinking, oh, I wonder what I'm going to see. Yes. Uh, and it's all written in Hebrew. Unless you're a Hebrew, Aramaic, uh, Greek scholar, uh, you're probably not going to be able to get too much out of it. But yeah. you know that when the experts are... Are yes. casting their critical gaze on those things and mm. they know what they're looking for. Uh, in some respects, we do trust what their word is because yes. uh, they are deeply studied in mm. those ancient languages and, of course, ancient culture, uh, ancient uh, literary forms, mm. uh, which is so, so important. Look, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. A bunch of people trying to get through. Let's take a call from Kim in Kalgoorlie in WA. Hello, Kim. Welcome along. Hello. Kim, welcome. What are your thoughts? Oh, look, um, next week my husband and I are actually going to Egypt, Israel and Cairo for three weeks. So wow. I was very excited to hear the topic and um, I love your show. Um, you listen to it most mornings and, yes, it's just been wonderful. A lot of people have said to me, oh, but how do you know that that is actually where Jesus went? And I'm just like... Just to be there will be an amazing experience. Mm. And as you said, it doesn't matter which step he stood on, just to be in the vicinity and to imagine mm. and feel just the atmosphere. Mm. I'm very excited. Uh, Stu, your thoughts for Kim. Oh, good on you, Kim. You're going to have a wonderful time. Uh, I did have to say after two weeks of Israel going around so many different places and seeing so many ruins, um, I did get a little bit tired of looking at rocks. So just be prepared for that. <laughs> there's a lot of ruins in Israel. But the fact that there's ruins of all these different places that you read about in the New Testament and, and even the Old Testament, seeing things like the ruins of 
King David's palace, you know, and you can see that it's it was a, a multi-storied palace. You can see that some of the structure still there, and you can see that he he had the lay of the land. He's up the top, so you could see how he could look out over all the other houses, which is probably why he saw a certain woman uh, bathing and got into trouble. You know, things like that are just amazing to see. So you'll have a you'll have a ball. Kim from Kalgoorlie, thank you so much, and enjoy your rocks looking. Uh, <laughs> the interesting thing there, of course, is if they weren't rocks, they wouldn't be preserved. So mm. The fact that those uh, archaeological remnants are, in fact, rocks uh, is actually a good thing. Let's take another call. Errol is in Slacks Creek in Queensland. Hello, Errol. Welcome along. Oh, hi. Errol. Very well. What are your thoughts? Uh, It's not a thought, but it's just a a question, actually. Yep. Uh, when, When you go into Israel, how far is it from Jerusalem to the Golgotha? Okay, this puts you on the spot, Stu Miller. <laughs> well, it's uh, the the scale of uh, Golgotha is in Jerusalem, so it's it's not really you don't travel from Jerusalem to it. When Christ was crucified, yes, um, when he was with Pilate, yes, how far did he walk between that and the scale uh, where he was crucified? Oh, okay. There's a there's a walk you can actually do in the old city of Jerusalem, which is called the Stations of the Cross, and you actually take the path where Jesus walked. Uh, and uh, we didn't actually do the Stations of the Cross, but uh, they weren't all that far away. Um, I can't. I, I don't want to speculate as to exactly how long that is. We could probably look it up online, but um, yeah. But it was interesting to be able to see those space. Errol from Slacks Creek, thank you so much for your call. And uh, interesting, on the back of what Errol is saying, uh, to be able to walk, it's called the Via della Rosa. That's right. Uh, and uh, to walk through the streets of Jerusalem. And as I understand it, uh, mm-hmm. over the centuries, mm-hmm. uh, there are layer upon layer there. So when yes. you are walking through, you're not actually walking on the same street. Well, it's the same street, but it's a different street. I mean, it's you right. know, what, what yeah. we like in Australia, when we put a fresh uh, layer of pavement over the top of uh, the streets, yeah. and of course over thousands of years, which we're yes. not even used to here, only yeah. a 230 odd year history, but uh, but they're thousands of years history, and so you're not walking authentically, uh, mm-hmm. kicking the same rocks that Jesus might have kicked, but you are still walking the same passageway, the same sort That's of right. streets. And yeah. of course, there might be uh, all sorts of uh, difference on where the place of the skull or uh, of where uh, Calvary might have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, those sorts of things are all up in the air as well. As you were talking about different uh, yes. caves where the shepherds might have been in Bethlehem, also there's some difference of opinion over where Jesus was actually crucified. So, so mm. yes, it's a, you know, how far did he walk? Well, some of that will be open to speculation. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's not all that far from the garden tomb to the Holy Sepulchre where they believe that Jesus was buried. Uh, and you can go and see the tomb there and you can go and see the garden tomb. But most scholars today say it's in the Holy Sepulchre. That's, that's where it is. And even the, the garden tomb organizers and, and brochures and everything, they say this is a tomb like one of the ones that Jesus could have been <laughs> buried in. They're not claiming it to be the actual one, but some people do claim it. They, they, they say, no, that's the one, you know. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Let's hear from Jason in Sydney. Hello, Jason. Welcome along. Yes, uh, good morning. Just a, a quaint story. Um, 
I'm a scripture teacher, and just to put you in the picture of being a scripture teacher in Sydney in 2018, um, I've had a couple of lessons where I just always feel a little bit uncomfortable because I've never been to these places. I open up the, the workbook to show the kids, and I've had two lessons where kids have said, oh, yeah, my family's from there. Oh, wow. And uh, so I've, I've had a couple of experiences where I've said to seven- and eight-year-olds, oh, well, uh, you tell us about it. Um, when there are actually people still living in these places mm. where uh, the Bible uh, was uh, positioned, where, the, where there are, the people wrote the stories thousands of years ago, and there are people still living in these places, um, it's just very interesting to hear from the kids how family life is for them today. I, um, mm. Because I, I just... I'm not keen on going to a place where I just know, oh, you know, they're just trying to make a quid. Mm. Um, this may have been the tomb or this has got a sign on it and a tradition says, and I, I'm just, um, I think, well, oh, yeah, okay. But when you actually talk with um, uh, people who live in these places mm. and, and can explain the geography and um, just even coming from kids, it's, it's, just the oh, it's just funny. It's quaint, you might say. Mm. Yeah, and there's a certain innocence uh, when the kids are just sharing because they're just telling you what they think. Uh, Jason from Sydney, yeah, your thoughts for Jason, uh, Stu? Oh, I th I think you're right, Jason. It's um, you know, it's the fact that these places still exist today. People still live in them today. The Bible is not just a, a bunch of fairy tales, as as often is said. Um, there's names, dates, places, locations. You know, you can check these things out. You can go and dig up these streets and find ancient civilizations. You know that were in the Bible and. And, uh, you know, the fact that people are still living there today and, and it's still called the same thing is just amazing. Now, lots of people waiting uh, to have their say now, Stu. But mm. coming back to this very, very foundational thing we're talking about today, mm -hmm. uh, having been now to Israel, uh, seen some of the evidence, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the places, the sites uh, that you read about in the Bible, what does that do for the evangelist who's sharing their faith with others? I think in the West it's fantastic because you have so many sceptical people about not believing in Jesus, not believing in the, event, the events of the New Testament. They, you know, they, oh, that didn't happen. Oh, that didn't happen. And to be out actually there in a culture where they, they all understand it's part of their history. You can visit the archaeology. You can see the ruins of these places. You know, this isn't just a made up story. This is real names, dates, places, locations that you read about in the Bible. And, and they can be verified and continue to be verified. And you were it's talking fantastic. about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and mm -hmm. many of those Dead Sea Scrolls are absolutely confirming the authenticity mm. yes. of what we have in the Scriptures, mm. and uh, something that we ought not to be doubtful about. Mm. I mean, it's not the whole of the Bible, but yes. whole books of the Bible preserved yes. for thousands of years. Mm. Yes, and uh, you know, when we're in the Jerusalem Museum, and saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. We, we see the uh, the translation of them, of course, because it's in Hebrew, and you're like, what the heck's that saying? But it's got a, a direct translation. We got out our Bibles on our phones, and we're, we're checking it out, and we're going, yep, that's what's in my Bible. Yep. And it's just great to be able to see that. Okay, we're taking calls. Let's hear from Diane in Ipswich in Queensland. Hello, Diane. Welcome along. Thank you. Good morning, and bless you. Thank you. And what are your thoughts, Diane? Well, I was there quite some time ago, but 
I found it's an experience that every Christian needs to do. It's it's amazing, and it doesn't matter whether or not they're the genuine sites of this or that, and there's churches all over the place. You have to go there with and leave your our westernised way of thinking and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And and you feel certain places. You can feel the Spirit telling you this this is where this happened or mm. this is where that happened, and you come back and in entirely different person mm. and I found I was actually on the high places back when I went Masada didn't have a cable car to walk up and uh, you know we, I was walking paces and someone said what are you doing I said I'm marking my place in Israel <laughs> and, I, and it was just something that I found out years later that I've got Jewish um, descent and yes. so it was like I was coming home and that's what it felt mm. like I was emotional I cried everywhere with the mm. joy of the land embracing you. Forget mm. all the other stuff, it doesn't matter. Just go by the Spirit and let the land embrace you and you'll come back an entirely different person. Wonderful yeah. thoughts, Diane. Uh, you're concurring with that, Stu. I can see a smile on your face. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually thinking about that cable car because um, that, that was a long walk, Diane, <laughs> that you did there at Masada. Uh, I was gl- I'm glad that there's a cable car because it was very hot. <laughs> And uh, you've walked a long way. Thank you so much, Diane. Lots of calls coming through. Uh, let's hear from Jeanette, who is in Albury. Hello, Jeanette. Welcome along. Uh, hello, Neil. Jeanette, um, what are your thoughts? Oh, I've always had a dream to go there, but I'm in my, you know, I've clocked up a few years and I'm almost blind. I've just got shapes and a bit of light and nobody I know wants to go there. But every time I hear something, and this, your guest, um, he's just describing it so well, bringing it to life. And I would, that, that is a desire of mine to go. And, um, whether I wait till I get a healing on my eyes or just go. Um, and, and, and the question is, um, are there Christian churches where you can go to a, a Christian service amongst the Jewish people? Jeanette, good thoughts. Uh, Stu, do you know? Yes, there is. Um, it's harder to find an English-speaking uh, Christian church. There's plenty of Christian churches around, but uh, most of them aren't in English. Uh, within Jerusalem um, and in Israel in general, uh, Christians are a minority. They're, they're not. Uh, we sort of think, oh, Israel, it's full of Christians. Well, most of the Christians are in the buses <laughs> traveling around doing the tour for overseas. But uh, in the actual nation, you know, it's there's a lot of Muslims, mainly Jews, and um, a lot of different religions actually. And uh, Christians are a small pocket of that. But they've definitely got churches, and you can find some English churches. We we found that there was some that spoke English. Thank you so much to Jeanette and uh, that's encouragement of course uh, if you can't see mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you haven't got the eyes of your imagination and that's as right. you are looking at the uh, understanding that you glean from the scriptures mm. uh, this is why the scripture is so powerful Stu because most yes. of the people most of the Christians in the world will not get to go to the Holy mm. Land mm. and to see those sites that's but right. Uh, what happens in our active imaginations when we are actually looking, reading, and uh, and absor- becoming absorbed in the pages of the Bible, our imaginations run wild. And uh, that gives us real opportunity to embrace mm. and uh, just be immersed in the Scriptures. 
Well, it does. It, it does. Um, obviously, if you can go to the the uh, the real place, you can get a better uh, idea of the typology. I'm, I'm saying that right, word wrong. Uh, the, aren't to- I? the topography. Topography. I think that's <laughs> the one I'm looking for. And the, you know, so you know, the layout of the land and understanding, you know, where Jesus walked and and how far and all that sort of thing it comes alive a lot more. So I found that with my imagination, I'm making up places in my mind, and and I've got a completely different picture as to what. It actually was, um, but so that's going to be that's changing as I'm reading the scriptures now. You know, I'm reading about Capernaum. I'm going, oh, I went to Capernaum. I, I know what that is, and I know how far Jesus walked to go there, and etc. You know, it, it changes the way you you, you read. It's it. all about context, yeah. isn't mm. it? Uh, let's take some more calls. Wendy is in Lithgow in New South Wales. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along. Hi, Neil and Stu. How are you? Really Good, well. Thanks. What are your thoughts, Wendy? Well. When listening to Stu in the beginning, my thoughts when I went there were all the same as his. That's why I rang up because I just love Israel and um, and with the churches and all the glitz and glamour and you know all the publicity and the buses and everything. It's sort of and getting baptised in the Jordan and so I didn't actually want to go to the Sepulch- uh, Church of the Sepulchre because and my guide said, "Why don't you want to go?" And I said, "Look, it's that's not." what it's about for me (laughs) but um, just a few little comments uh, on what you said firstly you know you get the word rock takes on a whole new meaning (laughs) 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 lots of piles of rocks (laughs) little tetras and you know (laughs) big ones and little ones but also um, yeah and we went under the wall and I think that was really meaningful to me because I think Jesus it's a street, yes. as you probably know. You probably went there, yes. but um, where Jesus actually did walk, and yes. there were shops and things. And so yep. that was pretty amazing. I thought, wow, Jesus really did walk here, unlike yeah. you know up on the top streets and that. And so that was really exciting. <laughs> and I just, you know, I can't wait to go back to Israel. I probably may never get there, but and just the other thing when I saw and talking about. You know the graves and the different and the shepherds' caves. I felt the same thing, you know, and mm. I was convinced that one particular cave was really the place and that sort of thing, yep. as you do. But um, yeah, when I saw Golgotha, you know, mm. the skull, mm-hmm. I knew that that was the place, just in my spirit, you know. And, and so um, there's all this evidence, as you say, for this, that, and the other thing. But I just looked at it and I thought. Yeah, and and the Arabs built a you know bus station there to keep people away, and and the hill up on top where you know where the road was, so that was pretty strong. And now I even I've got picture when I look at it, I just go, <laughs> yeah, that was um that was the place. You Wendy, know. if I was just uh, commenting, I can hear just as you're listening to Stu recount his story, everything is just flooding back to life in your imagination. And I imagine that this flooding back to life can happen every time you open the Scriptures mm. and you begin to read those stories uh, in the Gospel, Jesus walking the streets of Jerusalem and all around. Uh, you don't have to actually uh, go there refresh because once you've been, I imagine that mm. uh, the things that you have seen, they don't go away easily. These are not memories easily lost, Stu. No, they're not, and it's it's wonderful to have those memories, and uh, they'll be there for the for the rest of your life. And by the sounds of it, you'll be heading back there sometime soon. You're pretty enthusiastic to go back. 
<laughs> I wish. Yeah. I wanted to. I came back and started learning Hebrew so that next time I could have, you know, speak a few words. Yes, that's right. Now that's commitment. <laughs> oh, it's love. It's a wonderful language, you know. It's, it's yes. just love Hebrew, love everything about it, you know. It's yes. just all... Um, you know, but just the last comment on, um, is that when I came back, you know, having experienced all that and it was also real, I came back to my church, which, and I didn't know anything about replacement theology or anything like that, but I came back to a real, real opposition and it was real darkness and I was just totally overcome and mm. I, it was really, and that was a few years ago now, so things are a lot better, but there's so much that really um, takes the, um, it's a real shock, you know, mm, because mm. it's not believing what the Bible says. And yeah. here we are with all these Christians, my brothers and sisters and lots of other churches, and it's not believing what God says about mm, Israel. So mm. And the promises really... that God's made, and, and, you know, God keeps his promises. He yeah, makes some promises to Israel, yeah. he's going to keep them, he's... Yeah, and so that was really to me that was a real eye opener and mm. knowing the truth, you know. So that was a wonderful experience. That was probably the main thing. I mean, of all the beautiful, wonderful things, but to mm. know that what well, this and understanding all about Israel and the Bible and the Old Testament because I never we only learnt the New Testament. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, Wendy, just great to hear from you and uh, glad you're enjoying the conversation today and uh, bringing all those memories back. Uh, Wonderful to have you part of 2020. Let's take one more call. Chris is in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Um, Good day, Stu. Good day, Neil. Yeah, I just want to make an an important point. If if archaeology is proving that God's Word is totally true in the past, and prophecy uh, is determining you know, that it's true in the present and the future. So everything that God said in the, in the past, we can see the prophecy. Well, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Yeshua, Revelation 19.10. So yep. we, we can have confidence in this present and, and the future. Mm. Mm. Stu, your thoughts for Chris? Yeah, I love that scripture. Because you know, um, we have our own personal testimony of how God changed our life. It's about our life, really. But uh, it's interesting that scripture says the um, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus or Yeshua. So uh, what is the testimony of Jesus? Well, it's his life, death, and resurrection, isn't it? Which is the gospel message that we're commanded to proclaim. So it would be uh, remiss of me on, on the show not to, to mention evangelism as an evangelist, but that, that spirit of prophecy, you sort of think, well, how is that the gospel? How, how is talking about the gospel prophetic? But really the gospel message is uh, it's not just looking at, at our current situation that we're, that we're sinners, we've broken God's laws, uh, you know, and we need to be saved, but we're looking to our future. You know, we're looking to eternity. We're looking to the hope that we have through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, paying that punishment for our sins. We have that hope of eternal life. And uh, it's a prophetic look at the future when we say to someone, well, if you surrender to Christ, if you turn away from your sins and, and surrender to Christ, well, this is what your future is going to be like. But if you do not, then this is what your future is going to be like. And which, when you look at Old Testament prophecies, that's pretty much what the prophecy was. Thus says the Lord, you're sinning. Mm. <laughs> you know, you need to repent. If you do, this is what your future is going to be like. Your barns will be overflowing. Your vats will be, you know, you know, full. Uh, things will go well with you. Uh, if you do not, your enemies will overtake you, etc. And we're we're 
really uh, bringing the spirit of the testimony of Jesus when we're proclaiming the, the gospel. Um, and so I, I love what you've just brought because this whole show is about the past, how it affects the, the present and into the future. And really, uh, that's exactly what this whole show is about. So thank you so much for that comment. Chris from Victoria, thank you very much for being part of 2020 once again. And you know what's going through my mind is, uh, as this whole conversation continues to un- unfold. We're talking about past, present, future. Mm-hmm. Uh, Old Testament, mm-hmm. we have this flow, this uh, this thread of biblical prophecy that leads to Christ. Yes. That leads to the cross, that mm-hmm. leads to the coming Messiah. Yes. Uh, we have genealogies that mm-hmm. we can read about in the beginning of uh, Matthew and in Luke uh, that take us right back. And there's also this authenticity that comes in that thread. Yes. Yes. Then we've got prophecies into the future yes. and things like the reformation of the nation of Israel, which we can say quite safely mm-hmm. and with some determined uh, accuracy that yes. this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that happens today. And we can point to that globally. Mm, yes. And then, as you say, Stu, we have mm. a personal testimony. Yes. And people have testimonies not only of their salvation but of God's actions in their mm. lives, whether it's that provision at that right time or whether it's that healing that comes, mm. uh, whether it's a physical healing or some sort of emotional healing. There's a healing that comes. And mm. when that happens in our personal testimony, that points back to the authenticity of Jesus and the cross. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about past, present, and future, Mm -hmm. Jesus at the cross, this Mm -hmm. one point in history where our sins are forgiven because of his shed blood, uh, this is so powerful because we are actually encapsulating Mm -hmm. the past, the present, and the future in that moment. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, in Revelations, it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And our testimonies are an incredibly powerful, uh, way of, of, of showing that that event isn't just some random person dying on the cross. That person, Jesus Christ, has impacted our lives, has changed our lives all over the world. Millions of lives are being transformed by that, that what happened uh, 2,000 years ago, and that past does affect us today. And the gospel message encapsulates that. It encapsulates that past, brings it into the present for a person that their lives can be changed forever. They can have a personal relationship with Jesus. They can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. They can know him now, and they can live with him for eternity. They can have eternal life. So it encapsulates that whole thing. I love the gospel, Neil. You know, I was just uh, looking in my preparation for having this conversation with you today. And uh, I came across a Billy Graham evangelism site. And uh, one of the things they were talking about there was this idea of what's this connection with archaeology and the message of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, these things are separate. Uh, And this is interesting because uh, otherwise you would have had Billy Graham uh, standing up in front of a stadium full of people at a crusade and showing slides of archaeological <laughs> right. places. And, of course, that never happens sure. because you know what? Uh, that's got nothing much to do with this idea yes. of a sickness of the soul that mm. we would call sin. And so we're talking about an issue of the heart. We're talking about the living words of Jesus and his deliverance from sin and his Mm. salvation for our, uh, for, uh, for our lives. And Mm. so you don't have a Billy Graham. Showing a slideshow, talking about the archaeology. Uh, That would have been important, no doubt, to him. But his message 
was one of salvation, which was the gospel message that we see that is just wrapped up in Jesus himself. Yes, absolutely. And and that is highly um, you know, displayed in Israel with all the people uh, who are Jews and are still waiting for the Messiah. And they've had the Messiah <laughs> right there in their nation, and he's come. He's fulfilled all the prophecies that they can read about and uh, and study, but yet it's like there's blinkers over their eyes, and they're not accepting uh, the Jesus. And so they've got all the archaeology. They've got the history. They've got the Messiah actually coming to their land, and they've still rejected uh, the very one that they needed to accept. And so, it, it, like you say, you know, it, you can put all the proof in front of someone, you can put all the slides up, but at the end of the day, it's about what's, uh, you know, your heart and what's going on between your heart and, and God. Um, because it's not just a mind exercise of, of recognizing that this happened. But it's it's where are you at with God? And and if you're listening today, where are you at with God? If you're not in a good place, I'd encourage you to put your life right with God. Pray. Ask him to forgive you. Surrender afresh your life to him and ask him for eternal life and put your faith in him. And let's not leave out a really important dimension here that I'm sure we could talk about for the next hour, but we won't be able to. And that yes. is the role of the Holy Spirit in mm. all of this. And we talk yes. about past present and future mm-hmm. uh, I'm just reflecting on Acts chapter 1 verse 8 yes. uh, when Jesus said uh, you know when the Holy Spirit comes on you you'll be my witnesses yes. in, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem Judea and Samaria yes. and to the uttermost parts of the earth That's right. uh, here we are in the uttermost parts of the earth yep. and it's the Holy Spirit who is mm. fulfilling and acting and empowering believers like you and I yes. uh, to be able to share our faith, to be witnesses. Mm. And we ought to be relying uh, to a great extent on his Absolutely. ability and his drawing mm. and his conviction of the heart. So mm. the pressure is a little bit off us because the Holy Spirit is at work's due. Mm. The major players in someone coming to Christ is, is the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, and the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit moving upon someone's heart, we're wasting our time. We, I've tried this, Neil. I've tried to argue people into the kingdom. It doesn't work. You can have all the best arguments in the world, but God needs to touch people's lives. I would encourage people, though, um, if you want, if you're not confident in sharing the gospel, which is the power of God under salvation, get a hold of our G7 app, Gospel on the Seven app. Go to the app store and type in Gospel space IN space and then the number seven. It's a fantastic uh, gospel presentation. It'll help you to be able to communicate the gospel with those around you. It's a powerful message and pray that the Holy Spirit will touch people's lives. And there is a link to the Gospel in Seven app on the Train to Proclaim website. Uh, Stu Miller is the founder of Train to Proclaim. Uh, Stu, you're also available for uh, seminars and uh, all sorts of opportunities there. No matter where people are, uh, mm-hmm. You're prepared to look at how you can get to them, Absolutely. Uh, whether they're in a remote location or whether in a capital city. Uh, thank you so much for your humility and making yourself available to go to people wherever they're calling you to be. And uh, but to, to get those details, connect with Stu Miller, train to proclaim dot com. Stu, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your. Uh, well, you know, in our mind, we've been watching your holiday snaps. So, <laughs> <laughs> but really appreciate that and uh, and to. To draw out of that too, uh, the power of God mm. in the past, the present, and for the future, and all wrapped up in Jesus. So thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. Thank you, Neil. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.